there was no actual obstruction of any kind. Uh, the president extensively cooperated with the investigation. They produced almost a million documents to the special counsel, and he did not assert executive privilege, which he could have done, which prior presidents have done. So Mueller had uh, access to folks inside the White House and from the campaign, including uh, the White House counsel. There were ample reasons, ample evidence to conclude that, in fact, corrupt intent could be proven by Mr. Trump. Welcome to the award-winning podcast, Lawyer to Lawyer, with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrosi, bringing you the latest legal news and observations with the leading experts in the legal profession. You're listening to Legal Talk Network. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. I'm Craig Williams coming to you from Southern California. I write a legal blog named May It Please the Court and have out two books entitled How to Get Sued and a Christmas children's book called The Sled. Before we introduce today's topic, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Clio. Clio's cloud-based practice management software makes it easy to manage your law firm from intake to invoice. You can try it for free at Clio.com. That's C-L-I-O.com. Well, on April 18th, a redacted version of the eagerly anticipated Mueller report was released to the public. After reading the report, some agree with the president that he's free and clear of charges of collusion or conspiracy with Russia or obstruction of justice. Others disagree and point to actions by the president and his staff that does anything but exonerate him. The Mueller report has concluded with the now infamous quote, while this report does not conclude that the president committed a crime, it also does not exonerate him. Well, today on Lawyer to Lawyer, we're going to take a look at the redacted version of the Mueller report. We'll discuss the, if the report revealed anything, the impact on the presidency, and whether we'll see impeachment hearings in Congress in the near future. To do that, we've got a great lineup of guests today. We've invited back the guests who appeared on our January 2019 show, Predictions on the Mueller Report. And today we're going to continue that conversation. To do that is Frank Bowman III, professor of law at the University of Missouri School of Law. Frank spent three years as a trial attorney in the criminal division in Washington, D.C., and in 1995 and 1996, he served as special counsel for the U.S. Sentencing Commission in Washington, D.C. He currently teaches criminal law, criminal sentencing, and impeachable offenses. He's the author of High Crimes and Misdemeanors, A History of Impeachment for the Age of Trump. It's a, out of Cambridge University Press this year. And welcome back to the show, Frank. Thanks for having me. And our next guest is also returning, Attorney Hans von Spakowski. He's the manager of the Election Law Reform Initiative and senior legal fellow at the Heritage Foundation's Mies Center for Legal and Judicial Studies. Hans is an authority on a wide range of issues, including civil rights, civil justice, the First Amendment, and immigration. In 2017, President Donald Trump appointed Hans to be the Presidential Advisory Commission on Election Integrity. Welcome back to the show, Hans. Greg, thanks for inviting me back. Well, Hans, let's turn to you first. And I think uh, perhaps we turn to volume two of the Mueller report, since that seems to be uh, where the hotbed of discussion focuses. And kind of just give us a background uh, backdrop of what the uh, general conclusions, perhaps from the executive summary, were in the Mueller report for our listeners. Sure. Um, 
you know, it's interesting because, you know, volume two covers the uh, possible obstruction of justice charges. And uh, special counsel Bob Mueller said that he wasn't going to come up with a final legal conclusion or recommendation. I think that's because of the, some of the constitutional and other legal issues involved. Uh, and he would leave that up to the attorney general by simply laying out the evidence on both sides of it. Uh, that's very much in contrast to the f volume one, where he concluded uh, that there was no evidence of uh, collusion between the Trump campaign and uh, the Russian government. Now, look, it's very clear <laughs> that uh, volume two does not uh, does not produce a very flattering view of the uh, uh, inside of the uh, Trump administration, and particularly the White House. I mean, it shows everything from angry ranting by the president to, you know, chaos, pettiness, self-centeredness. I mean, there's there's a lot of adjectives you can use to uh, characterize it. But I think the key thing that supports the attorney general's conclusion and the conclusion that the attorney general came from was that there wasn't evidence sufficient for a prosecution or obstruction of justice is uh, a couple things. First, there was no actual obstruction of any kind. Uh, the president's extensively cooperated with the investigation. They they produced almost a million documents to the special counsel, and he did not assert executive privilege, which he could have done, which prior presidents have done. So uh, Mueller had uh, access to folks inside the White House and from the campaign, including uh, the White House counsel. What also apparently supported the attorney general's conclusion on this is the fact that if you're going to prove obstruction of justice, Look, it's very true. You can you can prosecute obstruction of justice even if there's no underlying crime that someone was trying to obstruct an investigation of. But it's much more difficult to do that. Here, there was no underlying crime. And also, uh, the AG concluded there would be very, very difficult, uh, if not almost impossible, to prove a corrupt intent. And that's necessary for a prosecution for obstruction of justice. What apparently drove the president was his anger and frustration over the fact that he was being accused of a crime that you know Mueller has has concluded he did not uh, commit, and he his thinking that um, this was a bogus uh, collusion allegation being made up by his political enemies. The point is that proving a corrupt intent, trying to obstruct an investigation to cover up a crime just wasn't there. So I, I think it's hard to question somehow that the AG came to uh, the wrong conclusion on that. Well, Frank, I know you're going to have some comments about what Hans just said, but before you substantively <laughs> respond, I know, but before you do, give us the constitutional framework that we're operating in here. What are the constraints that we have? Why is it that Mueller just said what he said? Give us that kind of outline so that we, we know where we are. Well, I don't know that there are any necessary constitutional constraints on special counsel, counsel Mueller in terms of uh, what he reported here. The argument that there are constitutional constraints stems from the notion that somehow or other it is unconstitutional to prosecute a sitting president for a crime. Uh, that is an, a remarkably debatable point. What is clear, however, is that the Department of Justice has uh, adopted a policy not to prosecute sitting presidents. Uh, and to defer any such prosecutions until after the president is out of office. 
That is, interestingly, a a legal point, which uh, Special Counsel Mueller raised at least once and possibly twice in the report, rather pointedly, I thought. So my view of why Special Counsel Mueller did not opine on the obstruction question um, is simply that he recognized that A, the Department of Justice wasn't going to prosecute, uh, and B, uh, he believed that the question of whether or not Mr. Trump engaged in obstruction of justice, either in the narrow legal sense or in the broader constitutional sense of subverting uh, the system of justice more broadly, was a point that really ought to be addressed uh, by the public and more particularly by Congress. Now, I want to revert to a point that Hans made at the outset, suggesting that uh, Mueller left the decision uh, to uh, about whether or not uh, there was, in fact, a crime here to the attorney general. In fact, that's simply not true. At no point uh, in the Mueller report does Mr. Mueller suggest or even imply that that determination is to be made by the attorney general. Uh, and a number of people have remarked, and I think I agree, uh, that Barr's choice uh, to take that step is at least questionable. So uh, in answer to your first question, uh, I think the Constitution is not operational here, uh, except insofar as the Constitution confers on Congress the power of impeachment, and therefore uh, the results of the Mueller investigation may be relevant to that inquiry. Now, if you would like me to observe, you know, make further observations about the, the substance of the report, I can certainly do that, too. Great. Go right ahead. I mean, first, with respect to uh, volume one of the report, again, Hans subtly but significantly mischaracterizes uh, the report. He said that, there was, that, it, that it produced no evidence of collusion. Now, that's simply not true. Collusion is not a legal term of art. Uh, conspiracy is. And essentially what Mueller determined was that you know, although there is ample evidence that the Russian government uh, attempted to and indeed did uh, interfere in the U.S. election in a number of ways, and that uh, members of the Trump administration or Trump, Trump campaign, I should say, uh, were perfectly willing to uh, cooperate with Russian entities or to take advantage of uh, the crimes such as tapping into the Clinton uh, campaign phones or, or, or emails. They were perfectly willing to take advantage of that. Um, they were not really given an opportunity to do so. They tried hard enough, uh, but they didn't have an opportunity to actually engage in, uh, in agreement uh, with Russian entities to commit that offense. So there's plenty of evidence of collusion in the broad you know, public sense uh, between Trump representatives and uh, and the Russians, and certainly a willingness to collude. What Mueller found is that there was not the crime of conspiracy, and that's a rather different thing, particularly if one is considering uh, this report insofar as it reflects on uh, the, the, the fitness of Mr. Trump to remain in office. Now, with respect to the second volume of the report, you know, again, you know, Hans, I'm sorry to say, uh, misrepresents a number of the things in it. He says that the uh, attorney general is warranted in his conclusions uh, that there's no obstruction because, you know, the, the Trump and company cooperated. No, they didn't. I mean, they cooperated some. But, if, for example, you 
take a look at the uh, written uh, responses to the various questions provided uh, by the, the Mueller people to Mr. Trump, uh, it's a litany of I don't remembers, you know, pages and pages of I don't remember. And Mueller's team concluded that those responses were, in fact, inadequate. The report says so in so many words, but says that they simply didn't feel it was uh, desirable uh, to press the point on uh, an unwilling president because they felt they needed to wrap up the investigation. And with respect to the, uh, the rest of the conduct by Mr. Trump, there's all sorts of conduct detailed in that report that plainly amounts to a prosecutable case of obstruction. Over and over again, Mr. Trump attempted to discourage people from testifying. He explicitly invited at least two two employees of administration to lie and try to induce them to do so. He dangled pardons. He did a whole variety of other things, which to a remarkable extent, track the kind of conduct which produced the first article of impeachment against President Nixon. And with respect to corrupt intent, again, it's impossible, I think, for any serious lawyer to read the second article or the, the second volume of the Mueller report and conclude anything other than that. There were ample reasons, ample evidence to conclude that, in fact, corrupt intent could be proven by Mr. Trump. So, I mean, I could go on at further length, but I think that should do it for the moment. Well, Hans, let me toss to you just the Mueller report of the obstruction section where he recounts how Trump fired Comey and then immediately said he fired Comey because of this Russian thing. And essentially, and also the whole issue with Sessions, it seems all directed at Trump's fear that the Russia investigation was somehow going to implement or implicate him. How is that not obstruction? Well, first of all, let, let me say a couple of things that uh, I uh, resent. We're supposed to be having a civil discussion here, and I haven't misrepresented anything uh, in the report. There was no conspiracy and there was no collusion. That's very plain in the first volume of the report between anyone in the Trump campaign with the Russian government to try to change the outcome of the election. That That is clear throughout uh, that section of the report, and that's the same conclusion that every, just about everyone else has come to. Second, um, the decision by the AG on volume two, well, excuse me, but the special counsel is a Justice Department special employee and works for the AG, and the regulations say that report goes to the AG. So it's very clear that the AG is the one who makes the final uh, decision on these matters. Um, it's very clear that, uh, again, while uh, the president in some ways is lucky that his staff did not want to do some of the things he wanted him to do, again, I don't think you can prove a corrupt intent when there was no underlying crime. And in fact, he didn't want investigation because he knew there was no underlying uh, crime and that the entire Russian collusion allegation was, was basically a hoax based on uh, the salacious and unverified steel dossier. The other thing about this is that, again, there were absolutely no – the firing of James Comey was fully within the constitutional authority of the president. The FBI director serves at the pleasure of the president, and the firing of James Comey in no way 
affected and put no restrictions of any kind on Bob Mueller's uh, investigation. In fact, Mueller spent $30 million, had a staff of 19 lawyers and a, and a support staff of 40 FBI agents and analysts. Uh, Frank complains about the questions that were uh, answered by the president in writing. Uh, Bob Mueller makes it very clear in that report that he believed it was within the authority of the special counsel to conduct this criminal investigation and, if necessary, subpoena the president. So if he had thought that the answers he was getting were inadequate or somehow wrong, he could have subpoenaed the president and tried to force him to testify. He did not do that. I think the final thing to keep in mind here is that if people think that this, there was somehow collusion here with the Russians, well, then obviously they uh, probably want a special counsel to investigate Hillary Clinton, because if you want to see actual evidence of collusion, all you have to do it with a foreign with foreign uh, officials. All you have to do is look at the one million dollars that the Clinton campaign paid to a foreign agent. Why? Because of his connections with uh, the Russian uh, government and Russian contacts to produce the Steele dossier, which helped get this entire investigation started. There is apparently from uh, volume one, there's an obvious lack of conclusion that there's been a crime that's been committed and, and pretty much based on the fact that there appears not to be any intent other than just uh, unawareness, perhaps. What aspects of a crime were necessary in, uh, in impeachment proceedings? Crime's not required for impeachment proceedings. Um, that's perfectly plain. But let's go back for a second about to the to the substance of Volume One, because I think it relates to your basic question. Um, it's perfectly plain, and Hans is correct to this extent at least, that Bob Mueller and his people concluded that there was insufficient evidence to prove uh, the a crime in connection with conspiracy between Trump uh, campaign people and Russians to affect the election. Absolutely true. And to that extent, to the extent that Trump wants to, cl to claim exoneration, well, you know, that's fair. That's a fair political point to make. But step back for a second. The other thing that volume one makes absolutely clear to anyone who reads it with an honest, open mind is that the Russian government in a variety of ways sought to intervene and interfere actively in an American election. And it also is clear that various representatives of the Trump campaign became aware that this was occurring. And their reaction was not, oh, my God, let's go report this to the CIA or the FBI or other national security people. The reaction instead was to confine it to one particular incident, the reaction of, I think, Don Jr., that's great. When can we take the meeting? to talk about the receipt of information that plainly had been obtained uh, by a foreign power and plainly, given the circumstances, illegally so. Now, that, the, the willingness to take that information may not be a crime, okay? But is this the kind of behavior that the American public thinks of as appropriate from an American president? Um, and that relates to the broader question of his fitness for office. And that relates, in its turn, uh, to the question of impeachment. And so we don't need to establish crime 
to determine that a president's unfit for office. That's been plain since you know 1788. But we certainly can make the argument that a president is unfit for office if, for example, he is prepared um, to accept the help of, foreign, of a foreign government in order to secure his own election. But more importantly, and this goes to the obstruction point, which is the thing we really should be focusing on here, Hans keeps re- repeating that you can't prove corrupt intent unless there's an underlying crime. Surely he knows that's not the law, because it isn't. And no serious I, I did federal- not say it was the law. <laughs> I did not say that was the law. I said it is very, very difficult to pr- prove that if there's no underlying crime. So you're you're misstating what be, I said. It, well, we 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 can we can roll back the tape to your second iteration of that assertion. Hans. I'm happy. But, let's let's roll back the tape, and you'll 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 see that what I said was it, it's very difficult to prove. All right. Well, and and I will concede that it can be difficult to prove, but there can be, I think, very little question that in this particular case there is plenty of evidence that this president sought to obstruct the investigation in Mueller in, in, in this case. He sought to obstruct the investigation of the FBI, sought to obstruct the investigation of Mr. Mueller in a hundred different ways. And it's detailed in page after page after page. You know, it's simply, I think, almost impossible to deny that. And moreover, I think it's impossible to any fair-minded reader to conclude that Mueller didn't believe that. He identified 10 different areas that might amount to obstruction of justice. And if you read the report with any care and with any fair-mindedness, you cannot avoid the conclusion that with respect to at least five of those, he and his people concluded that there was evidence sufficient to bring uh, an obstruction of justice case, even in the criminal context, against this president. I mean, that's an unavoidable conclusion, and anybody who denies that is simply not reading the report fairly. Um, Now, the consequence of that politically is debatable. Uh, You know, Congress may choose not to take up that invitation, but the facts are there. Hans, where does that leave us with Congress? Well, I just have to say I I disagree with that. Uh, I think the attorney general, in fact, has come to a correct conclusion on this as opposed to to what you're hearing here today. Well, what it leaves Congress with is, look, impeachment impeachment is not a legal process, okay? It is not a trial. None of the rules in federal statutes, none of the rules of due process, uh, federal rules of procedure apply. It It is entirely a political process. And, you know, the definition in the Constitution uh, the reasons for it are treason, bribery, or other high crimes and misdemeanors. The reason it is so important that people understand it's a political process is that when articles of impeachment were um, were voted on, Bill Clinton, he had clearly lied under oath in a deposition. In fact, you know, as you know, he ended up losing his bar license uh, for a while. So he clearly had committed a crime, but the country did not believe that he ought to be removed from office for that. They they consider that to be minor enough, and, and his other problems in the White House uh, with Monica Lewinsky, they, they consider that to be minor enough that they did not believe that the president should be impeached. And that's why I say it's really a political process. You're not going to get a successful impeachment process, you're certainly not going to convince the Senate, even if articles of impeachment are are voted in the House. You're not going to get the Senate to agree to impeach a president unless the senators uh, believe that the country politically is behind them. And I don't think 
anyone can argue at this point that that is uh, that is the point at which we have gotten in this particular case. Gentlemen, I'm going to interrupt here. Before we move on to our next segment, we're going to take a quick break to hear a message from our sponsor. We'll be right back. Imagine what you could do with an extra eight hours per week. That's how much time legal professionals save with Clio, the world's leading practice management software. With intuitive time tracking, billing, and matter management, Clio streamlines everything you do to run your practice from intake to invoice. Try Clio for free and get a 10% discount for your first six months when you sign up at their website, clio.com, that's C-L-I-O.com, with the code L2L10, that's L2L, the number 10. And welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer. I'm Craig Williams, and we're joined by returning guests, attorney Frank Bowman III, professor of law at the University of Missouri School of Law, and attorney Hans von Spakowski, manager of the Election Law Reform Initiative and senior legal fellow at the Heritage Foundation's Mies Center for Legal and Judicial Studies. We've been discussing the Mueller report, and Frank, I think you wanted to make a response to something Hans said right before the break. Well, I, um, on this much, uh, I certainly agree with Hans in, in large part in the sense that uh, I think at this stage of the game, it is profoundly unlikely that even if uh, votes were summoned in the House uh, to, write, to bring forth articles of impeachment, it's profoundly unlikely that the Senate uh, would summon the votes for conviction. And that, of course, uh, affects the way the House is going to behave. It affects the way the Democratic leadership is going to behave. What I think ought to happen, if I can be presumptuous enough to make such a suggestion to Congress, is that what the Mueller report certainly calls for, and certainly lots of other things call for this as well, is a continuation of investigations by the House of Representatives into various uh, of the behaviors of Mr. Trump and his administration. And if at some subsequent point uh, those investigations produce evidence um, that is compelling to the House and which really presents some reasonable uh, possibility of conviction in the Senate, then you know a decision about whether to go forward on impeachment itself should be made at that point. But I certainly agree with Hans at this point that uh, absent more, uh, it's a little bit, uh, it's indeed quite unlikely um, that a conviction can be obtained, and that's going to affect the political calculus. Gentlemen, let's look at first a couple of nuts and bolts parts of the report. Hans, I'm interested in your observation. It appears that the redactions uh, in the report are largely in the first volume and mainly for continuing investigations. doesn't appear that uh, Barr has redacted anything that isn't for the reasons. There's a couple of personal privacy issues, but what about the redactions? I think the attorney general has been unfairly criticized for that, and I think he followed the rules and the law to the letter. And, I, and given the fact that he was working with Mueller's office on this, I think we would have already heard complaints if folks who worked for Mueller, uh, particularly the lawyers there, thought that things had been redacted that didn't need to be. I mean, look, what, what he, he followed the rules of the letter. Grand jury material is secret under federal rules and federal law, and, and the, the, the attorney general can't waive that. It's also long, long time standard procedure that the Justice Department is not going to reveal information on an own ongoing investigation because it could compromise uh, the pro- prosecution. And, and look, the other rule about not releasing certain information because of privacy, that, that is a, a matter of fundamental fairness. If somebody was a peripheral 
in character, peripheral witness, you know, revealing them may may uh, invade their privacy and subject them to uh, attacks in, in a way that's not fair. It, it, it the the thing is, if you compare the redactions to the length of the entire report, which is very very long, I mean, the redactions are really minimal, and they don't. I, I don't think in any way they really interfere with with being able to read and and recognize the general the general findings of Mueller throughout the investigation. Frank, I know that you have a hard stop coming up on, and I want to respect that. So let's uh, take this opportunity to wrap up to get your final thoughts and your contact information, and then we'll turn to Hans. Um, I think I've said pretty much uh, what I want to say. I think, however, the one thing I would say, I suppose, is that if people really want to understand the Mueller report, they shouldn't listen to you know guys like me and Hans. They should go read the thing, read it carefully, and particularly the, the auditors of the listeners to this program, lawyers, should go read the report. Draw your own conclusions. Don't listen to me. Don't listen to Hans. Draw your own conclusions. Uh, some of those the conclusions that, that people come up with are likely to be influenced by their preconceptions. But what we lawyers do is try to remove those and read things fairly and according to the law. Uh, I invite people to do that. I suspect they may find the conclusions quite interesting. I'm, again, I'm Frank Bowman, and I teach at the University of Missouri School of Law. And uh, happily, I've got this book coming out, High Crimes and Misdemeanors, A History of Impeachment for the Age of Trump. And I hope folks will find it interesting. Great. Thank you, Frank. We appreciate your participation in the show. And Hans, let's turn it over to you for your final thoughts as well as your contact information. I think the key thing for folks to realize in this 450-page report is basically two things. One, there was no collusion between uh, the Trump campaign and the Russian government. Yeah, there's no question that the Russian government did try to interfere in our elections, but that also should be no surprise to anyone because that's something they did throughout the entire Cold War. And the only difference now is that they're using modern uh, technology to do it, including social media platforms. It doesn't mean we should put up with it and we shouldn't fight vigorously against it, but it's not as if it's something new. The second thing is that what the second part of the report reveals about the inside of the uh, Trump White House and in some places un- is very unpleasant, um, particularly when it describes some of the behavior of, of the president. But anybody who's read volumes of biography about Lyndon B. Johnson will know that we've seen uh, that kind of behavior before. But the key thing there is there wasn't sufficient evidence to uh, prosecute the president, even if he could be prosecuted for obstruction of justice, because one, uh, Bob Mueller was in no way obstructed in his investigation. In fact, he had uh, no limitations put on him. And second, because the president did not assert executive privilege, as prior presidents have, including Barack Obama, he was able to access all the people he wanted to in the White House. So there was no obstruction that actually occurred. And it would be very hard uh, for the things that the president said he wanted to get done to prove he had a corrupt motive, given that there was no underlying crime. And he was simply angry at being falsely accused of a crime that he did not commit. Great. And how can our listeners reach out to you if they'd like to discuss this with you more? Uh, They can reach me at the Heritage Foundation in Washington, D.C., and my uh, email address and phone number are there on the website. 
Great. Well, thank you, Hans. We appreciate your participation in today's program with Frank. Great to wrap up the discussion we had about those predictions. It looks like we've reached the end of our program. If you like what you heard today, please rate us in Apple Podcasts. You can also visit us at LegalTalkNetwork.com, where you can leave a comment on today's show and sign up for our newsletter. I'm Craig Williams. Thanks for listening. Join us next time for another great legal topic. When you want legal, think lawyer to lawyer. Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer, produced by the broadcast professionals at Legal Talk Network. Join J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrosi for their next podcast, covering the latest legal topic. Subscribe to the RSS feed on LegalTalkNetwork.com or in iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.